This is Michael Osterlink, Woken Mo'o Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in Northern Virginia area who has integrated different somatic practices into his work. To learn more about his work, you can visit his website at www.cosperscafidi.com. That's C-O-S-P-E-R-C-A-F-I-T-I.com. Today's guest is Dr. Nita Sanchez, a powerful visionary woman of Mexican-American and indigenous Aztec heritage, who has for over 38 years woven indigenous wisdom, business, and science into her global consulting and training with the world and corporate leaders and their teams. She also guides journeys into the Amazon rainforest with the Panchakarma Alliance to support business people and their families to learn about their connection to spirit, earth, and indigenous people, as well as to build understanding of the importance of providing, of preserving indigenous cultures for all of us. She is also the author of The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for the Modern Time. Modern Times, excuse me. Hi, Nita, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me here. It's uh, great to have you on. Um, so, you know, I want to he- hear a little bit about your story before we get into your book. And my first question for you is, tell me about the, the picture you drew when you're in kindergarten and how that was kind of a visual representation of the rest of your life. It is. Well, you know, all of us have dreams and some of them are long lasting ones. Some you have to let go of. So you're pointing to one that I just, it makes me light up. So as early as age three, I remember having this dream and the dream is I see the earth and, and then all these people of different sizes and colors. And I remember in kindergarten when I was asked, um, along with the other children, what are you going to be when you grow up? Draw it. I remember getting the crayons. I knew exactly what to draw. So I drew it and I, I was 25 of the 25th of the 25 kids and I stood up and I, everybody else had mommies and daddies, great things, doctors, nurses, officers, and but I got up with my picture and I've had all these stick people, different colors. And I said, and I'm one of them and we're all over the place. And in the picture though, we had our hands on each other's hearts. And I said, and I'm, I'm one of them. And I remember the children laughing and the teacher said, put away your crayons. And what struck me was as a five-year-old, you know, you would think that you would be embarrassed, but all I do, all I remember was this sensation of, of it was just true. I wasn't embarrassed. I just loved that. And I didn't have the language for what that was. But very early on, I began getting that language in my teens and then later. And that, so I've been living that vision, that dream. Um, it's, it's taken on more parts to it, but at the core is connecting hearts all over the world. That's, I, I love that story. And I must say, and obviously I want to encourage people to read your book, uh, the, the openness, the transparency, the vulnerability you share in your book as teaching stories to t- teach us about the four sacred gifts is, is, was amazing to me. Um, so let me ask you, like, how was it to, to share such intimate parts of your life, including such parts that were, you know, like hard for me to read I, and I can't imagine for you to experience. Yes. Well, it was a, another level of healing process to even write that book, to write the level. I mean, I was very open about everything, not only all the great things, because in my life I've had, you know, indigenous wisdom keepers and I've had yeah. a mother with a seventh grade education, but she, I pit her against any PhD in terms of, you know, playing games and word games. She was just, she was an avid reader, 
all these, but at the same time, in my early years, I had this secret I kept of being uh, sexually abused from age four to 13. And then as if that weren't enough for a individual to deal with, then my father was murdered at age 13, uh, mistaken in, uh, for someone else in a race related uh, killing. And so he died and that then, the power of that dream that we talked about before became really critical. So it wasn't an easy book at times to write. I felt like um, it was really critical in honoring this wisdom that was brought forth by 27 elders all over the world for all humanity. It wasn't for any one group of people. It was for all of us that I needed to be able to be an, as fully authentic, transparent, and living those gifts. So I got those gifts in 1995 and immediately began incorporating them into my work. But that book did not come out to 2017. And it took me six years to write. Can you talk a little bit about the the gathering of the indigenous peoples together? So, yeah. So the vision for what happened was this uh, Don Coyas, a Mohican elder, um, founder of White Bison. He had this vision. And in this vision, um, what some would call a dream time, he had a spirit telling him to do a call to elders all over the world. And they were to come together and build this hoop and hang a hundred eagle feathers from it. It was really explicit kind of vision and that they would know then what gifts to put in it because humanity needed it so badly because human beings have forgotten how to be in right relationship with themselves, other people, nature, and spirit itself. And so he came out of that vision and immediately went and talked to the elders. And the elders says, you have to do this. You, you've had a vision. So, so of course, 27 elders responded to that. And who's going to get 100 eagle feathers? But he said the eagle feathers just started arriving. People would show up with eagle feathers. So for that weekend, in the different language, in the different indigenous traditions, chanting, singing, dancing, meditating, they put together this hoop and then spirit told them to put the four gifts in there so that all human beings use these gifts and you will remember because we have been in a great winter time and it's time to prepare and use the gifts and we'll be able to create harmony and balance again in the world. So one of the gifts is the power of forgiveness and let's, let's circle back to your story. Yes. You know, um, how did you get to the point of, of forgiving what your father did to you, forgiving what the man who killed your father did to your family? I mean, can you talk yeah. a little, talk a little bit about yes. that? Yes. Well, it, it was a process. It, it definitely took some time, but at the same time, what happened was I put up this wall. I call it my armor of my illusion of separateness. Mm-hmm. And I really good at it because I was like, no one's ever going to hurt me again. And, you know, just all that hurt and pain, I put up this wall. What the problem was, I learned even in my teens, very early began to sense is that this wall did keep out things from hurting, but it also kept out the good things. And so as I started to bring down the wall, because it was really killing me, we think that hurt, pain, resentment, anger, you know, that didn't happen and all the isms that exist. It's like, it it doesn't do much to anybody kills you and I could feel it killing me and so with the help of elders with the help of going to several therapists as a teen 
I began to lower it. I didn't drop it all at once, mm -hmm. but I began to lower it. And then I see other human beings seeing me in leadership roles, both in high school and at 16, I started college and I was student body president at, at CU Boulder, all these things. And so a part of my head, that negative self-talk is like, if they only knew Michael, if they only knew who I really was. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem with hurts, mistreatments, small and big ones that I came to understand very early is that unless we do what we are to, meant to do, which is to release them, then we begin to identify. I began to identify with all the pains and mistreatment rather than who I really am. Those are circumstances, difficult ones that I lived through, that I built some muscle, that I gained some compassion and understanding. But those problems were not me. Those experiences were not who ultimately I was or am today. So it was really important to let them go. And I will say in addition to that, being able to forgive the unforgivable, um, you know, what my father did was wrong and that will forever be wrong. However, I, I've even released, I was very sad from at age 41 to be murdered, to never have reconciled his life. And then, and then a part of me realized, you know, this is his journey. And I did love him in spite of the pain he caused. I don't approve of what he did. And, and it, it's sad, but it's his journey. It was not my journey. This is my journey. And in my journey, I realized that forgiveness doesn't mean you're weak. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you um, uh, approve of what happened. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you um, are betraying yourself or whole groups of people from some of the big atrocities that happen across whole groups of people. It doesn't mean, any, it doesn't mean you're not going to seek justice. Mm -hmm. But what it means is that I love myself enough that I could let go of that pain, really big time pain that was there because I want to use my energy to create what it is I want now, what it is is life giving now and to be able to go forward. So even in work with leaders in major companies and things, what I find is they're scared of this gift, this forgiving the unforgivable, like, well, let's start with unity or hope. Okay. No, like we can start there. What, what we find and I found in my own life and I found working with them too we can have great intention. I'm all for intention and living your purpose. But as great of intention and purpose you have and a vision, you will get in your way. You will, it will limit it. I had big visions from my dream, big visions. Yeah. But those dreams became, those visions became even bigger when I could let go of the barriers that I was causing because of I wasn't able to trust. I was always suspect of things. I mean, I can't believe just so many things that I did. It was all out of self-protection. So I have compassion myself in that. But when I was able to let go of that, then the dreams and the ability to attract and to invite and collaborate with many different people across lots of similarities and lots of differences is all possible. But I don't think that I could have done that because even though the what of my work is diversity inclusion, there was still a little piece of me until I could totally forgive that question. Is it really possible for us to care about each other, all our relations, regardless of our age or religion or lack thereof or whatever it was, skin color, gender. I think that I was able to take back my humanity, my fullest vision, which is still unfolding 
by letting go of that. So I say that with, allow me for rattling on a little bit longer talking, because I really want your listeners to know that this is for you. If you're being called to forgive, then answer that call because it will affect everything. And that's a gift that, you know, keep using and you start with little things at first and then work up to the big ones. But it's, it's really so wonderful to be free. It's a path to freedom. It's a path to unconditional love of self and others. And just this summer, I had an elder say to me, I hear you're the forgiveness lady. And I said, yeah, I'm called that. And he said, well, I want you to add, I heard about your book and stuff, but I want to add something for you to think about that forgiveness is also the passcode to your divinity. And I just, oh, I, you know, when you feel, that's the thing with the gifts that go to the truth. And that elder saying that, I was like, yes, thank you. That, that's actually interesting because I was about to ask you, because <laughs> um, listening to you talk about it and listen to you, the words you use and, and your movement of your body, my takeaway from hearing your, your talk about forgiveness is not just a, a mental thing, there's a somatic aspect to it. And I was going to ask about the spiritual aspect to it too. Can you talk about how, how, you know, the, what happened in your side, your body, and then at the spiritual level, how this all worked together through the process of the forgiveness? Yes. Not just so mentally. Yeah, no, you're, you're describing because what I was always taught since little about our role as human beings is to always be in alignment and the mm. alignment so we can be good medicine or bad medicine. Good medicine is anything that puts into alignment, the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical. And so you're right that the using the gifts work at all those levels. At the spiritual level, I was really angry at one point. And I remember, oh, it's kind of hard to remember, but I, I do remember like screaming at God at one point and like, why, why are you? And I didn't even scream about the abuse and the other. That I began working through because I did try to actually end my life when I was 13. Because um, although my father was gone and this horrible, but the images kept coming. And so I thought there was no way out. So fortunately, it didn't work. And then with that, I made the promise at that point um, that I would never forget again. Forget of who I really am and what I am, which is um, science will call it energy. I call it a spiritual being in this physical form. And all of it matters, all of it matters. And I want to live my life and, and contribute what I'm supposed to be doing. So I talk about a life-giving force. So if I had a lot of conversations with, with spirit, with the great mystery that some will call, some will call God or Jesus, other will call it Allah, um, universe energy. Uh, I, I think I've spoken to a lot of, of those different entities. I grew up and am still Christian, but I'm also earth-based, indigenous, and I see no conflict in that. So I think every day, I start every day and ending it every day with a practice. And one of the practices that I, I started doing as a teenager was giving gratitude and, and singing a chant to the great mystery. And so I do know, even with a PhD and all the science and stuff I've had, is that there is something more. It doesn't take away from what the knowledge of science, but it lets you go further to understand there's more than just our senses. And we know that. We know that those, what we, some will call magic and others will say intuition, but there's this other greater thing at work. And I trust that. You know, I, I truly trust that. And I've seen it work its magic through people 
in all different kinds of difficult situations. So it may not happen as quickly as we want, but I, I, I know, I trust, like even what we're dealing with now, I trust we will, we will move through this. We will create positive changes out of this. We will, we will come more together. And I'm not naive that it won't take some work and not everyone will hear the invitation, but that doesn't mean I close my heart to the invitation. Were there somatic or body-oriented practices that helped you both um, get through the trauma that was locked in the body, mind, spirit system, as well as lead you to um, towards forgiveness? Yes. Even during the depths of being a young girl and the abuse, the thing that I love was sports. I was a big time baseball player, softball player, and volleyball player. And I remember not at the time when I was doing it, but later when I thought about it, I was like, wow, that was the time I trusted my body that I felt like I had control of my body. I was releasing things during that. Um, as a teenager, when people heard my story, I uh, had to counsel a few of the therapists because they would say things like, oh, you should be dead. I'm like, don't tell anybody that, please. <laughs> tell them, wow, you are special. You have a real reason to be here, you know? Um, but I know that was it. And then I knew that when I didn't use physical to help release, to even feel experience joy, not just releasing pain, people showed up. So there was a period of time that I worked with um, retired, um, frontline, um, special ops uh, men. And we do these exercises. I've always done Qigong, but I also learned how to release from our psoas muscle, the largest muscle down the, the lower back, how to uh, ex breathe and to lay down and to actually move that energy out of your body. And so I, I incorporate that. Some people are frightened by that kind of thing, but um, actually there's some even in corporate, some corporate places where they very quietly like, okay, we move away, we close things, we turn towards the wall and we begin doing the releasing because it's powerful and it doesn't take much time. I think you're probably, I know a little of your background, you're probably familiar with all different kinds of somatic kinds of things. They're very critical. So luckily, fortunately with even indigenous uh, teachings very early on as a child, I was taught how to breathe so that I could hear nature so if I needed to go hunt for food, I wouldn't scare off. I, I was taught how to do these things. And we, we need to be taught these things, you know, not just the primo athletes who do learn how to do these things, but we all need these to be, it's part of us being thriving is to be able to do that. So the somatic, thanks. You're the only person who's ever asked me that oh. question. <laughs> and I love it because it's an important part. And so even when in my work, it periodically will stand up and let's, Let's do some uh, Qigong kind of moves and stuff. And sometimes I even teach the somatic, uh, the deep uh, releasing trauma, awesome. releasing stress. Good. Um, what I'd like to do is actually go back before your drawing mm -hmm. in kindergarten. Um, and I'm curious, do, do you see some of the work that you've done around forgiveness is not necessarily just about you and, and the issues that you have to deal with, but is there a trans, um, intergenerational or transgenerational and trans like ancestral component to it that you that you've been aware made aware of yes that you're kind of healing your lines in any way yes i think with all of this that we do do that and it's clear to me but one of the things that happened very early for me that i think where the forgiveness was because i already had an understanding because this is going to sound funny but at age 15 months i 
I had a near-death experience. And I didn't know about it. My family never told me about it. But at age 19, I began having these dreams and I kept seeing this this doll falling out of the sky. And I loved sleeping because I love my dreams. <laughs> they really helped me. Um, but for a few months, I did not like going to sleep because I'd wake up. And then over time, over those months, I started seeing more and more. I could see this face and stuff, but I still thought it was some doll falling. And I would wake up always catching my chest. And then one of the times, I'm all of a sudden, I'm in the dream. There's me looking. And I, I, this is not an accurate description. All I can say is light. Mm -hmm. There was this incredible light energy that was infinite. And like all my dreams, I just, then I loved going to bed at night because it just kept coming and coming. And I loved, I knew this was important. And I remember calling my mother, she wasn't there. My younger sister, who I told her she wasn't there. And a sister, my older sister, I called and began sharing this dream because I wanted to tell her about the light. But she started sobbing. And so I had a fire down and it turned out that she she's five years older than me. And so when I was 15 months old, that would make her what about? Uh, six years old, she was supposed to be watching me. So here's a little girl watching a little person. And I fell off the second floor uh, balcony thing and landed on broken rock, which most people would say more likely than not, you would have died. And they did thought, thought I was dead, but they never told me about it. And so it came back. And that whole, I believe that unbeknownst to me, even then, and I'm grateful for it, that I understand what we're part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And there is a reason for me to be here. There's a reason for every sacred being to be here. Everyone's sacred. We don't always operate in sacred ways, nor do I. We have to forgive ourselves and pull ourselves back up and then go again. Um, and I know that that knowing, that worldview, that Many of in science would say, well, now that doesn't fit in here. That's okay with me too, um, because I understand they stay with the physical. But to me, this was as physical, as understandable in, a, in the mystery space, as well as in um, the understanding of how I am here in, in, on the earth. So You're, thank you for asking that too. That is a very important um, yeah. thing for me um, to understand and allows me to be in spaces that there's heavy conflict and that, and people often wonder like, how can you be there? Well, I've been in places where, you know, uh, someone's child has broken curfew and no matter what we agree on in terms of they're come from warring country, countries at war with each other, that child will still be executed. However, we still have now in the future children. And so, so I think, you know, people have different levels of understanding. And that was a deep one point for me. So the understanding this spiritual, both for my elders, but from this all, also this very early near-death experience um, plays a role in, um, in understanding there's something much bigger than just me and my own experiences or you and your experiences. There is this much greater. And when we can come together collectively, and open to that, then that's when I see, you know, the miracles that happen every day. It's great to be conscious of those so we can continue to create them. Do you know much about your birth? Yes, I do. 
it was a it was an easy birth actually mm. and i do remember i do remember getting born my mom told me those stories but i also remember being born and understanding I, when i was born i, I do rem, i remember choosing to come in mm-hmm. and i do remember even choosing that family but i remember a lot of a uh, sense of beings light beings a sense of energy i guess is probably about the easy of, of coming through and um, I, my, my, part of my hope for today is the children being born today um, are coming in with more of that sense. But mm-hmm. also those, I don't give up on those of us who are older, <laughs> that we also are becoming more, even in this time, I just, I love how much I'm kind of the connection lady and the forgiveness lending unit, all these different things. But some of my friends that I've talked to for some time are saying to me, and I just stay in silence and smiling and so grateful. They're like, you know, I'm bumping up against parts of myself. But now I'm remembering this and I'm feeling this. And I'm feeling my heart opening. And I'm just like, and I'm doing these kindnesses to the neighbor. I don't like this neighbor. I never like this neighbor. And now I'm doing this for this neighbor. Like what's happening to me? And I'm just like, oh, this is so wonderful, <laughs> right, Michael? It's just great. We're remembering that we're part of a whole hoop of life. You know, not, not this illusion of being only uh, alone um, I'm never alone. I get lonely. That's a human kid, but I'm never alone. I'm so clear. I have this reverse conspiracy going about how everything is working in favor of me being a life-giving force, just nice. as it's in favor of everyone being a life-giving force. I love that. That is awesome. And that's actually a good segue to the second of the sacred gifts, which is unity. Can you, can you speak a little bit about unity yes, as, one of the, is, as a medicine? Oh. Well, uh, yes, the gift of unity. We do nothing alone. So I'll just continue from that. So I'm sitting here, you know, in the foothills of the Rockies, and I can look out the window and I see the tree. And part of what my elders taught me growing up, but I just do it more and more and more, is just every breath. It's not just this body. I have to take care of this vessel because this breath is, this body is working. But it's those trees, it's those plants. They're taking the carbon that it needs and then giving me the oxygen. So thank you. I'm not even breathing alone. So, 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 so when I stop with the, oh, this is all hard and this is me. Yes, it's not easy coming from where I came from. It's not easy the person to go through a PhD program and do it so young and, and have all these things. That I do. It's not, and people have far more. However, when we realize there's all these other forces that can come together and help support it, then it's great. So in this unity, um, a lot of my work has to do with really helping people love each other, really come to care each other at minimum uh, across all the different differences. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to do that, then it's this gift of unity. So I have so many stories, I won't go into them all, but there's so many stories where that unity, understanding and using that gift is what allows us to do some of the big things. And mm-hmm. even the big things I think about in my, my life, and I'm sure you do in your life, when you really look and like, yeah, that was a, and who was there? Oh my gosh, there was that professor, there was that teacher. Oh, there was that pet of mine who would come every time when they knew I was just like, or procrastinating and just give me that nudge. There's just, so unity, we can do things in unity that individually we might be able to do, but it's like a, it, it's like a, a you're going to have to push, like pushing the boulder uphill, as they say, rather than the pull 
that can happen when there's all of us and our shared vision and dreams and we can move it. We can move such things in that. Um, and I've seen that unity most recently with even the Amazon burning. And I'm just so excited tonight. There's a big um, uh, a show on television with great, all these famous people coming together. But what I also know is like the individuals that aren't famous, aren't known, you know, who are asking, where, where do I go to contribute money? That's the lungs of my earth. Mm -hmm. That's 20% of our oxygen. So, and now with this virus, that's halfway around the world. But guess what? It's impacting us. It's impacting all of us. Um, some of us even more than others just because of all the inequities. But nonetheless, it's not discriminating. It's coming for everyone. So it's about care and love. So we're seeing it right now, the unity that can come with the kindnesses, the care, the, the not going into this divisive separation, um, which if I can, I want to say that one really terrible one that I'm seeing right now that I'm just bringing in everywhere I can unity, which is um, it's making good and bad. So the good person is the good person who's staying sheltered in, in solidarity for their life and the lives of others, and they're staying in. And they may not have money, they may not, but they're staying. Oh, and the bad people are the people who are, are arguing and saying, I've got to go to work. You know, I need the money. I, ha I have to support my family. And we're acting as if one is good and one is bad. Either way you go. And I'm like, what in the world? We're talking about a dilemma that both, both groups care about their families. Yeah. And we're falling into this pattern that has been of separating and divide. So this gift of unity at this time to understand from everything from the mic, from the breath we take to the, the, the things that we share, the oxygen, the earth, everything that impacts us all over the world because winds blow things and all of that, that how can we come together to at least listen, to listen to each other, to at and, least expect that it be treated with dignity, you know, and, even and, if I don't agree. And listen is one of the key aspects I know of healing, but before we get to the healing, let me ask you about the unity piece. Um, you talk about Standing Rock as an example of unity where tribes, indigenous folks from all over the globe and others, not just indigenous folks, yes. a lot of military vets came to support. But one of the things that stood out for me, because you were just talking about the, the Amazon as the, the, as the lungs of the earth, you just talked about the, you know, the, the trees processing your, your carbons, providing you oxygen, is the water protectors. Like, you know, the unity was, was around protecting um, the sacred water. Yes. Well, depending on your size and age, anywhere from 55% to 80% of your body, of our, each of our bodies is water. Yeah. So water is sacred. We, we need water. Yeah. You know, if we don't have oxygen, we don't have rest, the next thing is water, we will, we will cease to exist in, the, in this form. So water becomes really critical. And what was really beautiful about that whole thing is it was young people began running to bring the awareness of the poisoning of water, not only on indigenous land, but as this river goes down through major cities through the Midwest. And, and so the coming together, not only of indigenous people and understand most indigenous people hold this belief that we're all connected, we're all relatives. That, that doesn't mean we don't have problems with each other. So mm -hmm. some of the tribes who actually hadn't spoken to each other, they let that drop. And they came together because the unity around the sacredness of water was more important. And that could be heard because it, when something's really true, it gets heard across different languages. And I, I just know that I've experienced it too many times. And so we have people coming from all over the world 
who would not say they are part of the tribe. They're not indigenous, although all of us are from the earth. Nonetheless, and they come and they've continued. And that kind of growth has happened all over with various events that are happening where uh, indigenous, non-indigenous have come, come together, not necessarily agreeing on everything, but on some of the essential things to life, like water being sacred, has been a really powerful thing. And I think in a couple of weeks is, is World Water Day. And I know that there are a lot of events that are gonna be happening and wherever you are, you will see indigenous events happening, but also combine in collaboration with other people who are not of the tribes. Because we realize this is about all of us. This is about the unity, the, the oneness of life. Yes, I love that. You know, so the, the first gift is forgiveness. The second gift is unity. We, you started touching on the third gift, which is healing. Part of healing, as you've already acknowledged, is like deep listening. You tell a story about your son in your, oh, in your book. My, my eldest, my Alejandro, Alex. Yes, and he's blessed him that really early, because this book came out three or four years ago. Um, and when I was writing it, he said, Mom, I asked him, can I tell this story? Because it's pretty personal. And here he was as a teenager. And he said, Mom, is it going to help people? And I said, yes. And he says, then write it. Wow. The only thing I ask you is you not share the name of my girlfriend at the that girlfriend. time. Okay. And I said, I will never do that. And, and I love him for that. So the, the, what happened is a good example of this healing um, and listening playing a role is that my son was very happy and he was about to go into his senior year of college and uh, he saved up his money and he has this girlfriend for a couple of years at that point and he moved in his place. We were all very excited for him and her and they were just having a great old time. She was living on campus. He had his own place. And then there was a sobbing that happened on a Labor Day weekend coming in the door and I just ran down and it, a mother, any father will know. You hear that kind of, I immediately looked at him to see if there was blood. There wasn't. And he just cried. But all of a sudden, as he was doing that, as a mama bear, I wanted to start drilling him with the questions. What's going on? What's happening? And a part of me just came so full alive that, wait a minute, after I looked and saw there was no blood, was like, be here for him. Trust him. Trust his wisdom. And the only way to do that was to give the gift of listening. And so this lasted for some time. He ended up explaining that this woman that he was so in love with told him she didn't love him and that they broke up. And he couldn't understand it. And he just kept saying, my heart hurts so bad. My heart hurts. And um, so this went on for months. And when our children were little, we never let them sleep in bed with us. But we always told him, if you need us, you come up, and bring pillow and blankets are here and you can sleep there. Well, my son, you know, is just had just at that point turned 21. And he slept for a couple months outside my bedroom door on the floor, all six foot one of them at the time. He ends up being six foot three. And what happened then over time, Thanksgiving, is when he finally told us more of the details. Up to then, I, my husband and I, we just listened, listened, and listened and trusted. And what he told us is that he was at a party, his, saw his ex-girlfriend there. She had been drinking. He went up to her and he said to her, I, I'm not trying to get back together, but I just want to understand. I was totally thrown by this. And she he she looked at him and he said, is, if it's because of the money, you know, I'm only 21, I, but I've helped friends already who've made, I'll make money and blah, blah, blah. blah. And he, then he said, mom, 
I don't know where it came from. I think it came out of my guts from her face. I could tell that wasn't it. And I just said, it's because I'm Mexican and a Native American, isn't it? And she nodded her head yes and walked away. And when he explained that, it was really hard. He told me that I was in a car and I remember gripping the steering wheel really tightly. And what came out though is I'm here, I'm listening. And he was sobbing and I just said, I'm here, I'm listening. And it went the fullest route. Um, at Christmas time, he then told us afterwards that um, he had, it was a hard fall. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's a hard fall, <laughs> hard season. I, he, he just said, you know, I so love you and dad. Neither one of you told me what to do or ever said anything bad about her. I learned so much. I learned that I have a big heart, but it can heal. I learned who were really my friends. You know, the ones I could call at two in the morning and they just listened to me. And then the ones who weren't, who would say horrible things about her. And I, I just really appreciate you letting me do this. It was really hard to just listen, but that was the important gift. So what I ended up understanding later was that as I write that story, and there's more to it, but I'll just close with is that listening is fundamental healing. And as I studied healing all over the world with indigenous traditions, listening is really key. But healing, I now that listening can help heal a broken heart. What I didn't realize is it didn't just heal my son's heart. It healed this mama's heart. Mm -hmm. And oh, now I kind of get it another level that Ever since I was little, my grandmother and my mom and my elders teaching me about listening mm -hmm. the softest part of your ear and the expanding part of your heart. And so listening is one of the fundamental things to healing. Because if we don't listen, we won't know what's broken inside ourselves, let alone giving the space and grace to someone else to be about their healing. So it's really powerful, powerful practices, listening. Yeah, one of my takeaways from from that section of your book is listening is not just like hearing. No. You know, there, there's a deep presence, a fully embodied, heartfelt, creating the space, deep presence. Uh, and, and I loved when you talked about um, it wasn't about you. Like your first inclination as a mother, mother bear, I think you said, is <laughs> like I want to know the story. So you know, but like, and then you had this realization, like getting going down that path was about you as opposed to what he might need and that you're able to quickly switch to the deep listening, uh, which I thought was like a, a great part of that story. Yes. Well, the needs of others, I think it, it, it continued because we all have needs. Every behavior is a need being expressed. However, at times when you realize, wait, my needs are important. So I'm not diminishing mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. but this is what's important now. And so when people are truly listened to, not just heard, really listened to, even if you don't agree with them, they feel that, they sense that. And that's the gifts that I'm hoping in this time too of, of sheltering in that we're, we're doing more of that, that we're, that we're seeking that out for ourselves. First of all, just listening to ourselves and others. So yeah, so thank you. And thank my Alex for allowing me to yeah. share that story. He's 29 now. He's engaged. He had to oh, move, good his, for him. To move his wedding to next February. Uh, and he's in advertising business PR um, in Southern California. He's just thriving. He's doing really great. That's great to hear. You know, and speaking of listening, one of the other takeaways was his ability to listen to himself 
at a body level and just be with what arose inside of himself, which is amazing for a young person, let alone any person. <laughs> for any person, any human. Yeah. That's just it. We have to give ourselves credit whether we're a, yeah. that's why I'm seeing some of this in small children, even like, whoa, mm. they're coming from another choosing to come here, you know, and, um, but whatever age, it's never too late. And, and even when we fall short of that, it's never like, oh, okay. So when I fall short, I like, okay, I forgive you. Now be present again. <laughs> Listen. So that's the third one of the gifts is healing. And the fourth one is hope. Yeah, I love hope. Hope in action. And hope is an energy source. So hope is something. And, and you could read up on hope now, lots of different authors. And they're pretty split. Some will say, let's stop this hope stuff. That's just, you know, makes people settle back and not do anything. Well, but that's not the kind of hope I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the hope that I was taught from elders and have lived in my life is the one that requires action because hope is an energy source. It's a, a, it's a sense of, of believing the possibility of something happening that could be totally contrary to the facts. So we've had in our lives, many of our lives, we've experienced like going to the moon. A lot of people are that's hogwash, no way. Well, that was a vision and that's the possibility of that. And to stay hopeful and in action, putting the resources together to make that happen. That's a big one. But we all have those in our lives. And so one of the things that, um, that saddened me, I don't stay in the sadness. Instead, I just ask if you want some support, I'll help you with that, is all the hopelessness that people are expressing. Like, no, it's just, this is just the way it is. I, I always get quiet on that because it's like, <laughs> what is just the way it is? Right, right. Uh, that's not true in my life. That's exactly yeah. the opposite. What is like everything, it's possible to shift and change, just like the seasons. Everything can change and we can part, be part of that. So I advise people, I invite people to please, even if they want to be hopeless all day long, before they go to bed, at least in that moment, ask ask for your ancestors, ask for the angels, whatever brings you safety and wisdom, your pets, the sun, whatever it is, to be there, to, to bring in dream time, you know, the, all the possibilities and the hopes. And even if you don't remember, just do that, that practice, because when we can dream, when we can vision, when we can hope for something beyond um, something that's causing pain and suffering, then what happens, we have this pool and we know with our brain, that um, we're all into just surviving. So the amygdala, the, the uh, primitive part of brain will take on and make everything is a threat. And that's how sometimes it feels like something like everything's a threat. It looks like, what if the possibility, this is happening for us instead of to us. Mm -hmm. And I've asked myself, what if this even little virus, as horrible as it is for all the deaths, is happening for us instead of to us? And if I just allow myself that possibility, then I began to see more and name all the gratitude for the things that are unfolding, that that is bringing to our awareness, and 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 helping each other and caring about each other and seeing the environment cleaning up. No way could scientists have ever thought they'd have a two or three month window to see really what is our impact, um, and to see well, it doesn't mean we we just go back totally to the way we were like, let's be discerning and let's be in disagreement and agreement about what that might look like. But to have the vision, the possibility, the hope 
but there is something else. So with that, I wanted to say, I, one of the things I read recently, a person sent me the article from the UK and they did a recent poll, a uh, very large one, of how many, of pe asking people, do they want to go back? So it's like, go back to what is normal and how many don't. So I was ready, I took my deep cleansing breath because I thought as I was reading this article, I'm, oh, I'm gonna get a little bummed out. So just take a breath. And I was totally surprised. 97% of the people polled said, no, they don't want to go back to the way it was. Mm. It doesn't mean they don't want to go back to some of it, but a lot of it they realized was not very healthy. And they would like to change. Only 3% of that poll in the UK said they wanted to go back. So 3% want to sit in traffic for an hour and a half each way on the way to work. Yes. And sit in a cubicle and not family and friends. And yes. Community. Well, so <laughs> kindness to them. And I just love that. So then I went, okay, what's happened to the U.S.? And we're just starting to see polls happening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it will look the same as the U.K., but the, the, that, that fear that myself, that unless I took that breath so I could stay present to read the article, I would never have known. Anita, your assumptions, your fears are exactly that. And you have to have clear vision. You need to look to see that there was actually something different. I'm glad I finished that article. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So those are the those are the four gifts. And the name of your book is The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom from Modern Times. You, you mentioned earlier on you had a practice, your AM ritual, your PM ritual. Um, besides, obviously, people should read your book. What might you leave people with in terms of this conversation of things that they should think about, how they might want to start their day? How might they want to finish their day? And I did hear it just a few seconds ago, like dreaming is really important to you. So maybe you plug in how we might set ourselves up to use dream time to make changes in our lives or make increase our awareness. But talk about, you know, how you might suggest people start their day and end their day. Yeah. Well, I start my day pretty much the same way. Sometimes I condense it to 15 minutes. Other times it's a plentiful 45 minutes. But I always start with first just... The, the first breath that I, of my open eyes, I'm conscious of that breath and ha have it just fill my whole body. And then I go from my toes right up. can be very quickly when I don't have a lot of time. Just awakening all of it and being in gratitude. I'm here. I'm alive. This works. That works. Sending love and light to a place that might be a little sore or whatever else, you know. But just grateful for that. And then I either... Um, uh, read something. I always have something beside my bed. I read something inspirational. Oh, I just remember a quote from the day before or a quote that I love, like just the quote from my grandmother has been coming up with, you know, every day is a new day. Thank you. New day. It's a new day. And then I get up and I get out and I uh, take that first glass of water and I give gratitude for the water. Gratitude. And then I go for a short walk to get the paper with my dog. And on that walk, I chant. And I, my chant is a very simple one. It's in, it comes from the wind and it comes, a few words are from Seneca, my Seneca relatives who allow me to use those words. Mm. And I, it basically says, thank you, thank you, great mystery. Mm. And, and I say, sing it and I move to the four directions, four different parts of the world, the four elements. And I'm giving gratitude and know that, that, that there's something more than just what I'm seeing and inviting you know, all the positive possibilities and to be a life force. So that sounds like a lot of things. You can pick any one of those, but I find I can do all of that in 15 minutes and that's all I have. And other times I can be more spacious of 45 minutes to do that. Um, but the key for me is like gratitude. Gratitude is a big one. 
And the more specific and intentional I can be about it, the more I'm able to collect up to the hoopla life of all my relatives, both the human beings, two-legged, as well as the other beings. Um, so I try to name, um, not try, I do name as many as possible. That's some of the elder wisdom that I got since, since I was a little girl. I see. It helps. All I'll uh, say is that it works for me. <laughs> that's awesome. And how about the end of your day? At the end of the day, I go through the process of just gratitude as I get into bed, everything working. And, and, and I have to remind myself the things I got done because I have this little voice sometimes, but you didn't do that article and this article. Was it's like, okay, that's true. Tomorrow will come. And, but go through that. And then again, I just, I do my chant and I, then I um, think of something inspirational or I read something inspirational and um, that ends my day. In the middle of the day, though, I've added other practices. I make sure to do the somatic stuff. So that little walk in the morning is mm -hmm. not enough. So the shaking or Qigong, some deep breathing. Um, but that morning and night, I just find it's so important because it's also honoring of me um, at every level, at mm -hmm. the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical level. And, and uh, in it honoring me, then I have more of the capacity to give that to others as I encounter them. That's awesome. So you, you talked about gratitude. Well, let me say I'm grateful for you coming on the, my show today. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I loved your book. Um, where can people learn more about your work in general and specifically find your book? Yes. Well, you can go to foursacredgifts.com. That's F-O-U-R, sacredgifts.com. And there you can find um, a lot more about the gifts and you can actually download for free a song that was made from the messages in the book from, for the book. And there you can, it's too hard to give you all the different websites, but on there you can also find my work where the consulting and training and other things I do, you can find that link at soundchesttennis.com. But go to foursacredgifts.com because I just, I just know these gifts already belong to you. So um, use them and all the other gifts that are there. But I know now from some 20 some years of using these gifts and sharing them with others, um, in all different sorts of um, environments that they work. And we're, we're, we, each one of us are needed at this time. So foursacredgifts.com. Awesome. Well, very important medicine. Anita, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, Michael.